You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommying While Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jafri. Um, Zeba is still in Grenada, Spain, and enjoying herself with her daughter and her mom. So please make the offer them that all the goals that they wanted to accomplish over there are successful and accomplished. Inshallah, Allahumma ami. Um, I wanted to talk about Miss Marvel today because my children have been really enjoying it. Now, the caveat is my two older boys want to have nothing to do with it. They know it's about you know a Muslim superhero. Um, but they're like, oh yeah, that's like not even possible because they've been so conditioned to know that, you know, all superheroes look a certain way or of a certain race. And then that they all have a non-specific creed that is usually very close to what Islam is, but, um, they don't actually ascribe to any religion, but my two younger ones are absolutely loving it. They cannot wait for the next episode to come out. We are waiting for episode three at this time. And uh, for episode two recaps, questions, non-spoilers, we are on our Facebook group starting the discussions about what to do when you are attracted to the opposite sex, what an appropriate interaction would look like, what an inappropriate interaction looks like, and then masjid uh, board politics and women. So I think all of these are insanely diverse issues that Miss Marvel touches on. And I highly, highly encourage all moms to use it as a teaching tool with their children because it's the first opportunity we've ever had to do it. And I don't think we should, um, we should fail to avail it. If you have Disney plus, uh, go ahead and watch that every Wednesday is when they release a new episode. We get no money from Disney plus. We are just telling you, uh, how much we enjoy it. And we would love for you to partake in that. Thank you so much. And just remember in time for Eid, our merch store is open and you can get the OG original mother's t-shirt that was designed by Zeba our beautiful co-host who's not here and the mom's timeout kit. So if you want to gift yourself or gift another mom, uh, we have limited quantities of those. So when we sell out, we sell out and we only have two colors in the t-shirt. And I know that one of the popular colors is the dead and blue, and that's going to be gone. So we have them in all sizes. Go ahead and order on our website, mommingwellmuslim.com. From all that we've learned from our converts and reverts this month on Muslim conversion helped and hindered. It is very clear that coming to Islam is not a bed of roses for everybody. It's not the yellow brick road, or maybe it is the yellow brick road. Cause I think the yellow brick road was pretty hard, right? There was a lot of like challenges along the way. So yeah, it, it's the yellow brick road in very rare cases. It's abundantly lined with ease, mashallah for some of our sisters, but again, rare circumstances. So what kind of help and guidance is actually available to converts? We've already heard that every masjid should have a tab for converts, reverts, and like, here are all the support services. Here's the one contact person that is consistently going to help you. Um, I know my mission doesn't have that, um, but there are other resources available. Our guest today, Anse Najia Maxfield, has helped co-author Project Lena, which is an endeavor as well as a book 
there's a book by the same name, um, that serves to help ground new Muslims, new Muslims in particular, in Islam when everything around them could be in major flux. Anse Najia heads Rabata's nonprofit publishing house, Daybreak Press, and is the author of many articles, young, uh, short stories, poems, and the award-winning young adult novel, Sophia's Journal. Welcome back to the podcast, Anse Najia. Assalamualaikum. Alaikum salam. Thank you for that beautiful intro. And I'm so glad that you're talking up uh, Miss Marvel and all those opportunities to get involved with our kids and uh, really open those lines of communication via something that's fun. Yes, exactly, exactly. And if, you know, if you have a beef with electronics and screen time, okay, well, watch what your kids are watching and see because I know that I have shot down a lot of things that my kids are interested in, even games. And sitting with them, I see, okay, well, this soccer game is actually kind of important to you. And this, you know, even if it's a boxing match and we've talked about nonviolence, this is actually really good. You're learning certain skills and I can appreciate that. I suck at playing with them, but that's okay. Um, Anse Najia, for those who haven't heard your prior episode with us, that was about a year and a half ago when you taught us how to publish. Oh my gosh, has it been that long? It's been a long time, subhanAllah. So I think it was just maybe just after the pandemic started, I want to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We so were we were talking about Muslims doing hard then. things. So you were one of those. <laughs> but for those who haven't heard that episode, um, tell us a little bit about your momming story and your momming philosophy. So my momming story is that throughout the 80s and 90s and the aughts, I guess, I raised six kids. My oldest is, uh, I have a son who's 36 now, and twins who are 26. They're the youngest. So I have six kids within a span of 10 years, and the youngest are twins. Wow. Um, I they were raised mostly in Islamic school. Some, the latter three, we moved to Syria, and then we moved back. So they had kind of a mixture of homeschooling and public school. But the older three graduated from Islamic school. Um, so they kind of had different experiences growing up, and I had different experiences parenting you know, parenting them, there's, you know, of course, there's always pros and cons to each way and things that you are uh, proud of and things that you regret and, you know, different ones for, for those, for those two different choices. But yeah, so it was a, um, it was a good time to be raising, to be raising kids. Alhamdulillah. Let's see. Um, what was the other question? My mommy what, what story and my philosophy, philosophy? Mm -hmm. my mommy philosophy. Okay. So my mommy philosophy was and is, by the way, for those of you who have adult kids, uh, let us to shout out that adult kids are no easier than young kids and just aren't in a yep. different way. I used to be, I think I said this at the last time, like I used to think, oh my God, please, if I can just get to the point where I don't have to wipe anybody's butt, I'll be great. You know, like there'd be so, <laughs> so much less work then it just transfers. And of course, yes. you know, like the whole time you're going that you're you're going along, there's ups and downs and ins and outs, and they just keep changing into something else. But at the same time, all of that is growth. And yeah. all of that brings you to a place where you're more prepared to go forward. So so alhamdulillah for that. Um my philosophy is like with my oldest three, my philosophy was The choice is yours, and different choices have different consequences. If you choose to misbehave, then this is a consequence, and this is a consequence that you chose. I was very consistent, and I was very, you know, um, I was on top of things. 
they were very disciplined in, in, in the, in the eye, in the way that they were taught to pick up their own things. They were taught to keep care of the spaces that they inhabited and to keep their stuff, you know, like in their room, put away toys when you're done playing with them, all of that kind of stuff. Pick up your mess. My, with my younger three, my philosophy was, oh my God, please just be quiet. Please don't fight. Please. <laughs> Because, okay, so my fourth daughter was 17 Mm -hmm. months old when the twins were born. Oh, so like I had three under the age of two. Yeah. And um, that's insane. Yeah. And so consequently, I was just like, okay, just just pick it up for them. You know, like just, yeah, just just, please. please just, you know, like dad's coming home. Please just pick up these toys, you know, and especially my husband was very, very much like, just get it done. It doesn't matter. I'd be like, you know, like they need to learn to pick it up. I don't care. Just make it clean. So, (laughs) so for all of those things kind of like came together to make a completely different parenting style, even though I was the same person. So Mm -hmm. subhanAllah that, um, and now I'm looking back and seeing in them ways that I parented differently because my first three have completely different types of memories than my second three do. But all of it came together to be, you know, in the end, everybody, alhamdulillah, they're very close. Alhamdulillah, they're, you know, they're buddies with each other. And, you know, it's so nice to get together with your kids because all of the jokes that you grew up with, all of the movies that you saw, everybody knows all the quotes and, you know, so nice to have that uh, large family connection. Alhamdulillah. That's awesome. I fear the resentment of the older ones towards the younger ones, you know, because we do generally, you know, follow the parenting books and like what we're supposed to do, quote unquote, with the older ones. And then by the end, you're just tired. <laughs> like, can you just buddy up and like, yes. you know, partner off? But like what I hear is the older one saying, well, you like them better because you let them do this or they don't have to do this. And it's like, oh, no, it's not that. It's just that I'm really tired. And I just tell them. Yeah. I'm exhausted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's because <laughs> I put all my energy into you and I burned out like I'm done. <laughs> but inshallah, they will understand one day. And I'm so sad to say it. They will understand one day when they have children. I used to hate that line when my dad said it to me. One day you will have children and you will understand. (laughs) It stinks when they're right, but there it is. (laughs) So we know a lot about your, uh, uh, about the Daybreak Daybreak Press from your prior episode. If anybody wants to hear about that, we know about um, your writing history. What we don't know is your history of coming to Islam. Uh Could you share a little bit of how that happened? Okay. So. Um, I was raised Baptist, American Baptist. And at one point, uh, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a missionary. And I I was a very practicing Christian for most of my, you know, like childhood and young adulthood. And um, then I kind of went, you know, moved away from home and was in Lawrence at KU and just, you know, kind of wasn't as wasn't as practicing, but I was in school and um, through a strange series of events that involved uh, <laughs> an ex's new roommate who turned out to be my my Muslim husband later, hmm. uh, I met this Muslim man and we got married and 
we had been married for several months and I kind of realized something about myself. I realized that I had been raised believing sincerely that only Christians had a relationship with God. And then I saw my husband, he was praying, he was fasting, like he, he had a relationship with God. And that kind of took me aback. And so I decided to read up about Islam, thinking that one of two things will happen. Either I'll find the weaknesses and I'll know where to, you know, how to talk to him about converting to Christianity, or I'll find that Islam is the truth. And so I reread the New Testament and I read uh, back in the back in the eighties, Maurice Bukai's book, uh, the Bible, the Quran and Science was very popular. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I read several books and that was the last one I read. And that was the one that really just, you know, tipped me over. I was like, if this information, there's no way somebody in the desert who can't even read and write could have known all of this information. And if, and, and could have written something that's so congruent with itself and congruent with history. And, and also congruent with like, there were prophecies in there that all that have all come true, you know, the ones that have that their time has come, subhanAllah. So I was like, well, this information couldn't be from anywhere but God. And when you read the New Testament, you find that everything Jesus himself said is Islam. Like everything, like if, you, if you're a raised Christian, you know everything in red letters. Because <laughs> what Jesus actually said oh. is written in red in many New Testament editions. What Jesus oh. himself said is Islam. Why callest thou me good? There is only one who is good, and that's the Father who is in heaven. If you wish to attain eternal life, keep the commandments. SubhanAllah. Islam 101. <laughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You know, so subhanAllah. Mm-hmm. So I, and I just became, you know, I just became convinced in that, that the original message from God was always monotheism and that the idea of a triune God was kind of a pagan diversion. And uh, Islam brought us back to that real true monotheism. So then I became Muslim. SubhanAllah. What I love is that you did get married, but it doesn't sound like you were pressured in any way. Oh, no. Like... You were accepted exactly, just as you are. Exactly. My husband was very, in fact, he said, I'm not going to talk to you about it. You research on your own. Huh. You decide. And then we can talk about if you have questions, whatever, blah, blah. But I don't want to, I don't want you to feel pushed. I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to influence you in a way that might la- make you resent me later or, you know, it's totally up to you. Yeah. SubhanAllah. So when you did have questions, who did you go to? Well, back in the day, before the internet. (laughs) Yes, exactly. There really weren't too many people to go to. It's just like whoever you had locally, right? So there was this one Mm -hmm. woman, bless her a million. Marvat Ibrahim was her name. And uh, she was the one who kind of took the converts under her wing. And so, you know, she would take us to a lot of different events and she's the one who had like little classes you know like for for converts later she had classes she didn't at that time but later she even she developed her thing further into having classes at the mosque and everything and at that time by a miraculous Allah's plan subhanallah it was the days of debate 
Like back then, everything was yes. about debate, right? So we're going to have this person come and speak. Yes. We're going to have that person. It's all Ahmadidat, Midrimin. We're all going to talk about why this one is better or that one is better. Anyway, so there was this series that the Muslim Student Association sponsored that brought in different speakers. And so my husband and I went to those uh, speeches, and one of them was Allah Yirhama Amina Asilmi. Oh, my goodness. When I heard her talk, I was like gaping mouth. Mm -hmm. I said that that's what I want to do. I want to do that someday. I want to be that. Subhanallah. And um, I asked her afterward, I said, do you mind if I when I speak locally, if I use the outline of the speech you just gave, like the notes that I took? She was like, sure, no problem. And um you know, subhanAllah, she went on to do lots, lots and lots of good for lots and lots of people. And she's the reason we have the Eid uh, stamp, the postal stamp uh, that commemorates oh, Eid. Was, right. That was all her, uh, her initiative. Yeah, so alhamdulillah that I met those people and all of the people that I met that were Muslim, who were Muslim, were very open and kind and... SubhanAllah. I mean, SubhanAllah was like open and kind. And even like the woman who taught me how to put on hijab, the first Muslim friend I ever had was Shia. And I didn't even know which, what, you know, like <laughs> I, all I knew was, you know, Muslim. And my husband didn't be like, you know, you can't be friends with her because you're Shia, blah, 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 you know. Um, so it was a really nice, uh, mm. uh, very unified community. It was a wonderful place to be. That's the University of Kansas at yeah. Lawrence, Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. When it's a smaller community, I remember because there were so few of us, like we were tighter. And I think we were nicer to each other because we didn't have any options, right? Yes. So I remember growing up with all colors of Muslims too. And it was like, everybody, hello, hi, wow. You know, and I would ask my dad, I was like, I didn't know Muslims come in black and white. Too. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, they come in all colors because the religion came for all colors. It's for all people on the planet. I'd be like, wow, this is so cool. I think another reason. Because so, I'd only ever like known my family, right? Yeah, I think another reason that small communities um, can be a place where people are nicer to each other is that everyone knows each other for, I mean, like they actually clap eyes on each other. As opposed to it, when you're in a bigger mm-hmm. community, it's much easier to, to hear things and to create and form an opinion before you know the actual person or without ever knowing the actual person. And of course, it's much easier to look, right. you know, askance or give the side eye to somebody that you don't know and to feel superior than it is when you're actually with them and you see their humanity, you know? Yeah, yeah. And to your point, like one of our closest family friends was Shia and I never knew. I had no idea until I like grew up and I was like, oh, we used to hang out with them like every single weekend. And my dad was like, yeah, they were Shia. They thought we were Shia when they found out we were Sunni. They dropped us. (laughs) But we hung out with them. (laughs) Because our last name is a 99% Shia name. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I had friends that I later found out that they were Shia and everybody was cool with everybody. So that was good. Yeah, exactly. So this was in Kansas. Um, Can you tell me, it sounds like it was mostly a positive experience for you, but were there any struggles that you felt that were unique to you versus your other convert or revert sisters? Um, Or maybe even in common with them? I, I like, I really, okay. So that was my very, very beginning like the first year maybe of being Muslim. 
And my later experience, especially like as the internet kind of took hold, there were some very literalist, very kind of harsh um, people who were very vocal on the internet. So when you went to look something up, you would find like 98% of the discussion about anything was from this particular point of view. And I think that Mm -hmm. many of the people who, especially converts, because that's where we got our information. Like we didn't really necessarily Mm -hmm. get our information from the people in our community because they were immigrants. They didn't really understand where we were coming from. We didn't know how to ask. There weren't, there was no place of learning. There was no, like you can go study with the sheikh or you can take this class or you can whatever, just beyond that, that first little, you know, convert class that Sister Mervat had. That's all there was. And what there was, like, especially for those of us who were moms, happened like on Tuesday nights at seven o'clock. Like, what mom can go on Tuesday night at seven o'clock alone? So, and of course, there was no internet option for no Zoom then, you know? So, um, so it was kind of, it was very isolating and it was very restrictive. I feel like there was a lot of damage done, especially between myself and my family of origin, because the people mm. who were like those of us who got together and learned from the internet, basically, um, they all, that was all about, you can't celebrate Christmas, haram, you can't say Merry Christmas, haram, you can't give presents to your family, haram, you can't uh, go to their house on Christmas, haram, you can't, whatever, you can't do birthdays, haram. And so mm. I totally alienated my family we didn't go for christmas we didn't let them celebrate birthdays we didn't you know like they would give us christmas presents but it would be like when they came whenever they came to visit that was around christmas time they would give the kids their presents you know and um they always continued (laughs) to give us presents and stuff even though we were just like not (laughs) not reciprocating and i think that it that kind of approach is like that the approach in general, not just about holidays, but the approach in general is very like I like to think of like an a mandala kind of um mm-hmm. design, you know, where it's a, a circle and it's very intricate designs, and then as it goes out, it kind of s- spreads out like with mm. sun. I like I have a picture in the Project Lena workshop that I use. I feel like the core of Islam and the sunnah of Allah, what did Allah start with in Mecca? He started with la ilaha illallah. He started with Allahu ahad. He started with, you know, like these things that instill knowledge of the nature of God and heaven and hell and love of God and trust in God. Then in Medina, here comes hijab, here comes, you know, like all of the inheritance laws, all of that kind of stuff. So the core is that center and that core is faith and love. And that's where you start. So you mentioned also, uh, in addition to the balance, I heard you talking about Project Lena. So can you explain kind of what that is and when along your journey you found it and why it was so important? Okay, so Project Lena is the brainchild of, and say, Dr. Tamara Gray. And she, so her backstory is that she became Muslim in 1985. And after a couple of years, she moved to Syria. And she lived there for 20 years and studied the Islamic sciences there in a formal curriculum. And 
Then she came back when the war started. Actually, coincidentally, she came for something else and then found herself unable to go back. Right. And so when that happened, she said, okay, well, let's do a Ramadan tour. It's almost Ramadan. You're like, let's do a Ramadan tour. And they set up, a, you know, a tour for on through Can- throughout Canada and the United States and went to like 60 different places in the 30 days. Oh, and she was shocked to find that while she had grown and learned and, you know, benefited that many of the women who were in the States, even the ones who had been Muslim as long as she had, hadn't had an opportunity to do that. And the communities hadn't really, even in those 20 years, hadn't provided the kind of support and integration and respect and appreciation for convert women that she had, you know, like imagined they had, like when she was overseas, she just kind of imagined that we were growing parallel along with her over here. Mm And um, so when she got back, she realized that that wasn't really the case. And so she was just devastated. And she actually sat crying in her car one day uh, and began to develop literally on the back of a napkin riding (laughs) in a McDonald's parking lot (laughs) the outline of what would eventually become Project Lena. Now, Project Lena began as workshops so it's a two it was originally it was a two-day workshop and at the end of the second day there was a big in america there was a big turkey dinner Hmm. to to honor you know like our own culture and and uh, you know kind of have that fellowship together Uh, of course when she does it other places uh let's see we did it in britain we had a roast roast chicken dinner and they did it in malaysia they had it was at the time of chinese new year so they had all the traditional chinese new year foods you know so like Mm -hmm. whatever the culture is of the place and that original two-day workshop is was based on three modules the first one is know yourself and bring your whole self to islam the second one is declare your independence which is study enough from reliable sources that you can be, you can suss out when you're being manipulated or bullied or people are telling you stuff that maybe is part of their culture, but it's not really, you know, part of Islam. Know enough of the foundation, at least, that you can, you can feel when something is counterintuitive. Like you develop that sense of what is intuitively Islamic and what isn't. Because, you know, people who have who come to Islam are perfectly intelligent people who were wise enough and smart enough to choose <laughs> this faith and, you know, who are very competent in all the other parts of their lives. But they come to Islam and they kind of feel like they're knocked back a few pegs where they're like, well, and if somebody asks them, what do you believe about X, Y, Z? They're like, well, I don't, let me check. Let me look it up. I'm still let learning how to pray. Back. I haven't gotten yeah, there I'm yet. Still, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there is honor in that time, taking that time to pray, to learn how to pray, learning how to do all of that stuff, understanding that the emotion doesn't come right away. Um, all kinds of, you know, different things like the, but, but at least know the basics and also 
Here are some very basic definitions of Muslimese because people always Muslimese. be talking around you like, inshallah <laughs> this and alhamdulillah that and, you know, maulid this and I don't know what. And you, <laughs> a lot of times as a new Muslim, you, you know, what's the difference between a sheikh and an imam? What does that mean? What kind of education does that represent? What kind of, you know, like just to kind of understand the playing field. Right. And then the third module is Tender Ties, which talks about... Um, maintaining and nurturing your relationships with your family of origin and uh, then at the same time building relationships in your new muslim community and how to do that in a healthy way where you're not just giving up all of your own culture and taking on someone else's and if you're doing that you do it consciously because it's an adventure and you want to try it not because you know you're kind of pressured because nobody likes your food or whatever the situation may be you know like to just maintain that objective point of view and not just kind of be be sold the idea that you need to take on the culture of whatever the majority is at your masjid or whatever you know whatever the case may be so and that also includes a module or a, a little section on wedding wisely ah thank you yes <laughs> so yeah so we had done and they started out doing the the workshops. And then I started doing the workshops with her. And then we were like, this has to be a book. Originally, we thought of it as a manual for the classes themselves. And eventually it evolved into something that people can read, you know, stand alone or read in their halakas or, or whatever. It didn't necessarily have to be along with the course. And um, so we just said, we tried and tried that it was like, subhanAllah, how there were all kinds of obstacles until it was the time for it to bloom, you know, subhanAllah, how you, when you're going through something, you feel like, oh my gosh, what is wrong? Why we're not, this isn't happening. Why So many obstacles, blah, blah, blah. And then you look back on, you're like, alhamdulillah, it happened the way it did. Because if we hadn't been through X, Y, Z, this part wouldn't have been in there. Or if we hadn't have, you know, like it's the way it is with life. Yeah. So, yeah, so then we went to the Northwoods and we said, okay, we are going to sit down and we just took four or five days and banged out a first draft. SubhanAllah. We just wrote and then went into town to the little diner and ate pie and then went back to writing <laughs> and then we got more pie. <laughs> we could do so many chapters and then we get some pecan pie. <laughs> exactly, because if you know, you know, there's nothing like a slice of pie to get you after a couple of chapters, slogging it out. Yep. <laughs> but mine is pie and coffee. Cake and coffee. Oh, of course, coffee. Coffee goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Subhanallah. So you wrote yeah. the actual manual, what you were teaching in the workshops. That's what Project Lina, yep. the book is. Yep, okay. that's what the book is. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And it, it it is... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to ask, so are the workshops and classes still continuing? Yes, we have yeah. them about once a quarter, maybe once every six months. Mm -hmm. uh, we're just finishing up. I'm teaching with, for the first time, we have new people that are, who have joined us in teaching. Iman Menigat, who is our, uh, let's see, Ansi Iman is the Director of Convert Care for Rabata. Mm -hmm. And then Ansi Keisha Umruqaya, she teaches in uh, Chicago. And she studied in Syria as well. So those two have joined me because Ansi was overseas and, uh, and busy at the moment. And we said, let's just do it. And so we jumped in and we have this, we did it in three 
Saturdays instead of two full days. Okay. So we did like sat four hours, four hours, four hours mm-hmm. uh, on three consecutive Saturdays. Online. Saturday. online. This, this okay. one is online. Yeah, yeah. We mm-hmm. do both, but um, most we, we make sure that we have at least one online about every six months. Oh, perfect. perfect. So, yeah, yeah. Is it like a rolling curriculum? Like you can come in at any point. Like if I come in at the end of the year as a new Muslim, did I miss like really important stuff from the beginning of the year when you had Oh, it? no, no. There, uh, no, I'm sorry. I I didn't make it clear. It's still a workshop. And so mm-hmm. it's three, like for us, three Saturdays. So we did Saturday the 20, what, what did we, when did we start? The 11th, the 18th, and the 25th of June. So mm-hmm. this coming Saturday will be the last one. Okay. And if you come in like on the last Saturday, of course you will benefit. It's totally fine. There's, it's not like the knowledge is dependent on something that we learned the last okay. time. Each mm-hmm. one is one of the modules. The first one is know yourself, your independence, and build in that way. Mm-hmm. You can always, and the, of course the recordings are available as well. That's so incredible. you can go to, yeah, robota.org or ribat.robata.org. And uh, that's where you can go to in the to find it. And if you can't find it on the website, you can always email registration at rabata.org. Yeah. And then and we'll you have can all sign that information in the show notes so people can sign up and find it because it sounds like this has existed for how long now, Project Lena? Mm, I think the first one was 2012. Oh, so 2012. it's been yeah. like a decade that you've been doing this. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now the book came out last year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And why did we feel, I mean, I guess with every endeavor, it seems like we have to cap it off with a book. Uh, with Project Lena, what was the compulsion? Is it just because you're both great writers? Oh my gosh. SubhanAllah. No, it was because people enjoyed the workshop so much, but there's only so many people you can reach. Yeah. You know, especially with a local one. And then mm-hmm. even with online you know, how many people have four hours on three consecutive Saturdays or two days back to back eight hours to dedicate mm-hmm. to something like that, no matter how much they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to have that information available to more people. And we also wanted it to be in a form that people could go back and reference when they needed to, or when they felt like they needed, a, you know, like an uplift or a reminder or, you know, so that it's, it's more permanent. Yeah, it's just on, sounds it's like a there beautiful on their gift shelves. for every masjid to have to give to their new sisters. It, this would be relevant to brothers as well, or is it particularly to new Muslims? Project Lena. Um, it's written with women in mind, but I would say, but all, but of course, it's all relevant to everyone. But we all we use almost exclusively feminine pronouns, and like, not that that matters, but like wed wisely. Mm-hmm. talks specifically to women and there's um our dear dear andrea um uh andrea and neva i think i forgot her married last name <laughs> but uh she uh she passed away several years ago but it's her list there's a list of questions to ask uh a potential, potential spouse suitors. in there mm-hmm. right and they're all open ended questions. Mm-hmm. And it talks a lot about ask your potential, you know, like your suitor to talk about their homeland and listen to what they say and how they say it. 
are they enamored of it and they really want to go back and they may not say I want to go back but if they talk about it like you know rainbows and flowers and you know like just keep in your mind that they might want to go back is that something that you'd be willing to do or that you know you'd be excited to do or not um, and all of the questions are open-ended because there's so many quizzes where or talk you know like those kind of questions that ask things that people can suss out immediately what they think you want to know mm-hmm. what they think you want to hear so these questions are are much more open ended and um, yeah and proved have proven to be helpful. Alhamdulillah. So those are some of those are unisex, like they could go for anybody. Some of those are men specific, but really, when you look at the situation marriage wise, there aren't many male Muslim converts who are taken advantage of in a marriage right. situation yeah. in the way that women Muslim women be. are taken advantage mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely the information is beneficial to everybody, but just know that it was written by women kind of with women in mind. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a beautiful resource for all of us to have. Um, we might even give away a free copy on the podcast. I think we might. Yay. Yeah. How much fun. Yeah. So we'll do some kind of a drawing or some kind of a contest and give it away because I think it's that important. So super duper imparent, uh, important. Um, I, I do want to know after finding project Lena, this is a personal question. You really don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but were you able to go back after learning from project Lena and Robert, the schism with your family? Were you able to heal that? Oh, subhanAllah. That's an excellent question. I'm so glad you asked. I, I, we really didn't have a schism. My, I mean, I say I alienated them, but they, um, but we never really like split. Nobody said, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you or whatever. But my mom went from, uh, Oh, somebody is coming over and that means you have to put on a scarf. That means I'm leaving because I can't see you in a scarf ever. Mm. She went from that to babysitting my kids while I would go speak at churches about Islam. Oh, subhanAllah. (laughs) SubhanAllah. Yeah. So we, 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 there was lots and lots and lots of progress made. And I, of course, of course, once I began to be educated in Islam, went back to my mom and my dad and said, I'm so sorry. I would never do this this way. You know, like if it were now, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have stayed away. I wouldn't have, you know, said X, Y, Z. Cause you know, I had some of that convert itis. I was like, you know, yeah. I'm right and you're wrong. And here's all the got ways the you're wrong. Your belly. And here's, you know, <laughs> yes, exactly. Got the fire in my belly. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I said, of course, I would never do that now. But, and they were, of course, like, no, it's fine. It's fine. You know, like, oh, whatever, whatever. But in my own self, it still, it, it still hurts me that I caused them to miss out on so much joy. And I caused my kids to miss out on building that relationship in that way. And, you know, and I missed out on things like cookie baking and stuff that why there's no, you know, there's no reason to to think that those things are haram or something that you shouldn't do. So right. yeah, Absolutely. alhamdulillah, it, it really turned out we lost my mom two years ago, but oh, my dad is, uh, is still with us. And I moved home to my hometown to be with them. So it's alhamdulillah, so, 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 so much better. Yeah, a second chance. I love that. I love hearing it. And I'm so glad. Um, 
I'm kind of sad that Project Lena didn't exist before because I know so many people pre-2012 who could have benefited from it, like 20, 30 years ago when new Muslims kind of came to Islam and then whoop, left because it was like so harsh at that time. Um, It was just harder to accommodate the different kinds of people that were coming. And like, I'm not saying like bend the religion. I'm just saying like, yeah, fix your adab. (laughs) Yeah, fix your adab and match the sunnah of Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and how to present to people at the level that they're at. I saw somebody leave Islam because she was at a halaqa and the topic of the halaqa was like something totally different and something came up about something about personal hygiene, like details about personal hygiene that are the sunnah and stuff. And people were telling her, you have to do X and you can't do Y and blah, blah, blah. And she like, bam, she bounced out of there. She just left Islam. She was like, what is all this? Like this has, you know, you don't take somebody who's been Muslim for a week and lay all that on them because it's just, yeah. yeah. People need a foundation of knowledge before they can add those and those details, they need to know why those details, why to trust that those details are important and yeah. just take them on as you go. Yeah. Well, does a baby get born into a Muslim family and do everything all at once? No. No, <laughs> no you have to learn. It's just the same. You have it's to exactly learn. It's the same thing. I know. Absolutely. Oh, I, also, I also, I'm so sorry to no, like no, stick this in, but I wanted to let you know about the metaphor of the palm tree, which is why Project Lena is called Project Lena. Okay. I don't, I don't know if, like, if you've seen the cover of the book. I thought it was named after somebody. Um, actually, it's a metaphor of a palm tree because we want to grow into the kind of Muslims that are like palm trees. Where's the palm tree? Ah, here's a little one. Yeah. Okay. So a palm tree has a palm tree has a very sturdy trunk that is also flexible. So when you have a hurricane, all of the deciduous trees just uproot, but a palm tree can bend Mm. and sway. So when the storm comes, you you're able to sway with the storm and and remain upright at the end. Subhanallah. Remain strong in your faith. They have deep and broad, both deep and broad roots that uh, draw from deep wells of knowledge and that reach out and interconnect with the people around them. And they also have beautiful fruit, coconuts, dates, whatever, that are nutritious and serve those around them. Mm. So we want to become a a palm tree. Lina is one of the words for palm tree in Arabic. Mm. And so that's why it's... uh, that's why it's called Project Lena. I know that nobody makes that connection, but we're hoping that Project Lena becomes such a household word that everybody will immediately think convert care when they hear Project Lena. Right, right, exactly. Oh, I love it. I love it. We've been talking about convert care all month, but like we didn't have like a solutions focused approach to it. And I feel like mm. that's what Rabata brought. That's what Anse Tamara bought me. Allah bless her always and keep her and preserve her. Amin. She's such an asset to our community. And, you know, I, I'm just glad that Allah. you came and were able to tell us, you know, how it was founded, how it helped you and what it's going to do for our um, sisters that are coming to Islam right now. So thank you so much for that. Um, I know I want to be cognizant of your time, but I would really love to do the rapid fire with you. If you have like 90 seconds to give me for that. Oh, sure. Okay. Okay. So it's like, again, just off the top of your head, first answer is the right answer every time. And I know that, you know, 
this is probably a, a, a six, you probably have six answers for this one because I know how you read and write, but what are you currently reading? Actually, it was called Carville's Cure, Leprosy, Stigma, and the Fight for Justice. Carville's Cure. It was a nonfiction. That. that was the one I, yeah. Uh, let's see. What was your favorite subject in school? Russian history. Oh, wow. Really? We didn't even get that. Yeah. Yeah. It was really bloody from what I remember. Um, if you could yes, eat one... Yeah, right? Yes, if you could eat one meal for every one particular meal for the rest of your life, three times a day, what would it be? Fetit Magdus. What's it called? <laughs> Fetit Magdus. Okay, tell me what that is. Okay, it is eggplant that is stuffed with ground meat and pine nuts. Yum. Okay, and then boiled, mm-hmm. fried, kind of fried, boiled. And then it is put on a bed of fried pita bread pieces. Hmm. Okay. And then tomato, like a tomatoey sauce is put on top. And on top of that is garlic yogurt sauce. Yum. I love it. It's that the best. So my mother-in-law, my is it the little eggplants made it or the, the big best. ones? No, no, the little ones. The little ones. Okay. The little got ones, it. yeah. I know exactly where to buy those and try it. <laughs> <laughs> If you could spend a day in someone else's shoes, who would they be and why? Oh, dude, and say Tamara, because I want to know how to be that productive and that that wise and that (laughs) and that like organized and driven and thinking. Yeah. Forward thinking. Forward thinking. Broad vision Mm -hmm. and encompassing and inclusive and oh. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. All the good things. Again, may Allah preserve her. Mashallah, mashallah. Ameen, ameen. What's something you've done that made you feel extreme happiness? (laughs) (laughs) I'll just tell you a real recent one. Um, Went to my husband's works picnic. Okay. And we played cornhole. (laughs) (laughs) And it was... So much fun. And after two years of pandemic yes. and whatnot, I'm an extreme extrovert. And so, and I work all alone, all by myself, all day in these, you know, like pandemic-y times. And, you know, my job is kind of alone anyway. It's kind mm-hmm. of solo. But um, being with people and eating together and then getting to play something and, like, really interact, it was so joyous. I can't even tell you. Yeah. SubhanAllah. The first time we went out without our masks and went to somebody's house and there was just four of us without masks on in the room, I was like, oh my God, it feels like Eid. (laughs) 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 It was so fun. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Anse Najia. I so appreciate you coming on and accommodating us and teaching us about Project Lena. And we look forward to having you back on in future podcasts. All right. Can't wait. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.